What is up, Gen X? Welcome back to the water cooler. If you're at all like where I am, uh, you've had a very pleasant increase in temperature over the past week, uh, although that's not saying a whole lot, going from the teens and single digits into the 30s. Uh, it's amazing how this time of year that can be a very pleasant experience and you're shedding your heavy winter coat to something a little bit lighter and the sun's out it just feels quite a bit better. I know for some of you in the south it feels a whole heck of a lot better because you went from bitter cold in the teens and 20s normal back up into the, the 60s and and sunshine and the kind of weather that uh, we here in the Chicago area uh, envy. But it's been a, a very pleasant change and as we round out the month of February. Typically, it's the time of year where we can expect that the worst is over and we can start to look forward to a, at least here in the Chicago area, long spring thaw, uh, which is certainly much more pleasant than the long dark of Moria of the winter time. Um, but it's been it's been certainly a nice change, and hopefully it's a lot nicer where you are as well. You know, I read uh, an interesting headline uh, in the state of Oklahoma that apparently they are proposing to implement Bigfoot hunting season. Now, I know when you first hear that, you think, well, that's, that's silly. That's ridiculous. But then when you, I think about it, it starts to make a whole lot of sense. You know, we we uh, believe and promote a lot of things that don't exist, like say, you know, climate change. So why the heck not? Let's let's put a bounty on on the Yeti, on Bigfoot, on Sasquatch. Let let's go get those guys because we seem to spend a lot of time and energy in other made up man made made up things that do not exist. So let's jump jump in with two feet. Now, and weirdly, that's a very controversial thing to say anymore that that you don't buy into the whole climate change hysteria. But for Gen Xers like me, you know, it tends to be a little bit tough to take, and I'll explain why. Now, you go back for a second with me to when we were kids. Say around, you can you know, pick the 70s. What was... One of the big fears that was drummed up at the time, things that you even learned it in science class, you know, we, we, we can call that now global cooling, but at the time it was the oncoming ice age. It was, you know, it was a mini ice age and you can understand where that, that notion came from because as far as I understand in the fifties and sixties, at least in the United States, and I think even in the Northeast, where a lot of these opinions tend to come from, it was, you know, temperatures were quite cooler than normal, particularly in the wintertime. A lot of white Christmases and cold winters, a lot of snow. And so those idiots grew up with things being quite cold. And then as as uh, they entered their teen years, they were very frightened that uh, we were going to come into a, a mini ice age. And for someone like me hearing that, as a Gen Xer, that terrified me because you can probably guess I'm not a big fan of the winter. Yeah, I, I, I prefer summertime. I prefer warm temperatures. And the notion of an oncoming ice age terrified me. 
you know, you'd sit in, in science class and you'd, you'd hear about how we would have to worry about glaciers intruding in on what we knew as normal in, in our streets and our, in our homes and, and buildings that there was nothing we could do or we were facing a new ice age. But then in the 80s, somehow that pivoted. And I remember this very vividly. And I believe it was in 1988 or sometime around August. You know, I was in in the summer. I was visiting friends, and I and their his mom, one my my buddy's mom, had and their coffee table always had the latest issue of Newsweek. And I remember looking at the cover of this particular edition of Newsweek, and it had a family inside a glass cylinder and it was all about the greenhouse effect and i thought oh boy let me read about this and and it was detailing how cfcs if you remember those chlorofluorocarbons you know that were emitted from aerosol cans and carbon emitted from automobiles and factories was going to cause essentially the, the earth to become like a greenhouse and trap in heat from the sun and it was going to warm the earth significantly and it was going to lead to droughts and famines and pestilences and, and any kind of apocalyptic scenario that you could imagine. And I remember reading that and thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. I've been bracing for an oncoming ice age, and, and now you're telling me the opposite? That it's going to be, be a greenhouse? That doesn't make sense. And I remember paying attention as, you know, for the next couple of years and seeing quite cold winters and quite cold temperatures, and, and it just didn't make sense to me. And then, on the heels of that, you started hearing other apocalyptic scenarios regarding the ozone layer. Now think back into probably around the 90s is when this hit a fever pitch. And the fear was at the time that the there was a hole in the ozone layer around the Earth, the very ozone that, according to Newsweek, was going to create a greenhouse effect. But there was... And a hole in that same ozone caused by our use of carbon that was going to melt the ice caps on the South Pole. And the melting of those ice caps was going to cause flooding around the Earth, particularly along coast, coastlines. And that coastlines that we come to or become used to were going to be flooded and, and coasts were going to be moved miles inward. Further... Uh, making the disaster of the greenhouse effect that much worse. And I just remember thinking, well, that doesn't quite make sense. And I, and I remember getting in arguments with people in, in science class and in high school and saying, well, how do we know that that hole hasn't always been there? Well, we just know. Well, it's invisible. How, how do we know? How, that just doesn't seem to make sense to me. And round and round we go. Well, then, around the end of the 90s, and may have even been around the the time when Al Gore made his Inconvenient Truth, I forget exactly what year that was, 
they started pivot, pivoting away from the use of the word greenhouse effect and became global warming. Global warming was going to was going to be the the problem, and it was of course man made. And then he started having all kinds of apocalyptic scenarios that were being told were going to happen, where you know, in twenty years the Earth was going to be to a point of no return. I, I think at one point Al Gore said we had twelve years until the Earth was was going to end because of of global warming. And he had these pictures of these sad polar bears sitting on melting melting icebergs and, and that was that was proof that we were already past the point of no return. ABC and and the Daily Telegraph would have articles and specials about how by the year you know 2010, 2015, 2020 you know the the Coastlines were going to be gone, and temperatures were going to to rise four or five degrees, and we weren't going to have winters and snow anymore, and and so on and so forth. And then somehow that message got pivoted to climate change. So now, kind of go back in time then with me again and review everything that we were told ever since we were kids. The one, so many things would change from global cooling, to oncoming ice age, to greenhouse effect, to hole in the ozone, to global warming, to climate change, and winter's ending, and so on and so forth. The only consistent theme that you can see in that whole experience is predictions being wrong. And that seems to have stuck with me even into adulthood. And I consider, well, how can this be? And you hear over and over again, it's science. It's science and science and science. You know, people who who beat this drum just hide behind the, the whole science banner. But there's something that I, I, just, I just can't quite understand. Particularly, you can even talk about climate change now. Every time there seems to be a warm spell here in the United States or in the Northern Hemisphere, you will undoubtedly see articles and, and message boards saying, well, look, it's the hottest summer, hottest spring, hottest winter, hottest year in X many years, which is evidence of, of climate change. And then you'll have something like, say, a polar vortex or 80-year unseen cold temperatures in Texas. And then you'll hear, well, that's evidence of, of climate change. Again, hiding behind this nuance of language and hiding behind the banner of science. And what has never stuck well with me is how can it be that valid science has empirical evidence that contradicts itself and still proves that theory? Now, I'm no scientist, but that's something that has always not sat well with me from the ice, oncoming ice age to greenhouse effect till now. And I would I have always just posited this question and have never yet received an answer that if the increase in storms and the decrease in storms in the Atlantic and the increase in temperature trends and the decrease in temperature trends, if all of those empirical evidence evidences prove 
climate change. What empirical evidence would disprove climate change? I mean, if we're talking about science here, and this is a valid scientific theory, and that is our hypothesis, that man-made carbon emissions is causing climate change, what empirical evidence would disprove it? And I've yet to get an answer to that question because for some reason, temperature and weather gets conflated with climate and somehow everyone or a lot a shockingly amount, a shockingly high amount of people go along with it and i don't understand why i mean we have hearing hearing predictions of catastrophe and no winters for 30 years and none of their predictions have come true the hockey stick graph that we saw in the 90s has not come true and i don't understand it in some weird way Hiding behind the banner of science has become almost a new religion. I mean, they're believing in something that's not seen. That, but the the evidence that they're told is is going to come true, and they believe it. And it's it seems to almost fill that void that people have because they don't have religion anymore. And it's it's something that I find truly bizarre. We can go look no further than this past month. In the beginning of the month, there were weather forecasts for the United States and by region. And they had areas like where we are in the upper Midwest being either cold, colder than normal or significantly cold, colder than normal. And then in the, in, the, in the plains area, about normal. And then like in Texas in particular was significantly higher than normal temperatures were predicted for February 2021. Well, what happened? Well, we can look past the past week to 10 days, and we had historic cold temperatures across the South, particularly in Texas, that caused a lot of damage, that caused you know, flooding and, and deaths and, across the state and, and shortages in, in food and, and in fuel. And it's, it's so odd to me to look back and say, well, here we are in our current month. And these same experts can't get predictions right for one month. Not only were their predictions not right, they were way, way off. One would even argue the opposite of their predictions were true. But yet somehow we're supposed to believe and accept that these same people who can't predict accurately temperature and weather for one month, they're somehow experts to predict weather and climate for the next 5, 10, 20, 100 years. Now, it could just be the skeptical cynic in me as a Gen Xer, but I have just not drunk the Kool-Aid. I don't buy it. I just don't get it. But it is... It's believed by many, and we are, are, are seeing the effects on a very practical level of what buying into this hysteria has caused. Again, you can look in, in Texas, no further than Texas, and what they've gone through the past uh, couple of weeks. Now, on one hand, you, you, know, 
you look to Texas and and you, you see a state that does a lot of things right and they're and they are getting you know people moving in from out of state because of of the economy there and there's a lot more freedom and unfortunately they are attracting a lot of people from from blue states who bring in their bad ideas but over the past a couple of decades and as far as energy is concerned they have made seemingly a lot of bad decisions you know, they have uh, gone in many ways uh, to an extreme with with wind energy and and the delivery of it and i think they have a lot of questions that need to be answered on the local level you know, from Governor Abbott on down, how in the world did this happen? Yeah, again, these, and maybe they're just simply, it's a matter of hubris, and they're ignoring all types of scenarios and, and contingencies. But even though the cold that hit in the past couple of weeks was historic, it's not completely unprecedented. And now from what I understand with regard to these windmills is one of the reasons why they froze is because they weren't winterized. And it was something that occurred very odd to me because, you know, you saw those pictures of, of these windmills that, that were completely frozen and were being sprayed down with, with fossil fuel <laughs> substances to try to get them unfrozen. And I, I thought, well, Texas isn't the only place that has windmills. I've seen windmills in other areas that have have cold winters. You know, when we drive through I-65 in Indiana, there's a, a huge windmill farm that you see. Uh, I know they get cold. I know they get get frost and ice. And how how do those are, are those uh, working throughout the year? A friend and I've I've seen reports and I'm not sure how accurate it is. I'm, I'd be interested to see the the investigations that follow. But that wasn't wasn't done in these cases. And apparently, these windmills that supply about a quarter of the electricity to the state um, were, are run by individuals and groups that are not in the state of Texas. Some are even not even in this country. You know, now how could it be that a state that does not rely on any other state to supply their energy and their electricity, how is it that the generation of this energy is sourced to people not associated with the state? That is bizarre to me. You know, a, a state that likes to puff up their chest as much as Texas does, how did that happen? Um, it seems to be a weird mix of incompetence and uh, hubris relying on these new new sources of energy and an over-reliance on it that uh, you know, certainly you know, caused a lot of, of pain, a lot of suffering over the, the past couple of weeks. And in particular, I, I just don't understand how Texas was different than other southern states. Because let's be honest, Texas wasn't the only one that had deep chills and 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 freezing over the the past couple of weeks, you know, neighboring neighboring Louisiana did. Um, about Mississippi and Alabama and and all the way to Georgia. What made Texas so different and made this so much worse in that state? You know, that's 
it's going to be some hard questions that that they're going to have to answer um, if if they're uh, willing to seek the answers. I'm curious to find out what happens um, as a result of that, but we'll see. I, I just, but I I don't definitely don't understand why Texas was so much worse than than all those other states and and. Yeah, particularly with these windmills, and I'm I'm sure that's not the only problem. I'm, I'm I'm sure they have issues with their their delivery systems and and so on. But and and again, I'm not advocating for you know completely doing away with with uh, wind energy and solar energy. What what I don't understand is why can't we do it all? I I I, I don't understand why it has to be one extreme or the other. Why why can't we have some nuclear power and some coal generated power and some natural gas and wind and solar and geothermal and and so on why do we go to one extreme or another why is it either all of one or all of another why can't we just do it all i'm i mean we we all agree that we need significant amounts of energy to run our society and to to fuel our economy and I don't understand why we try to go to one extreme era over another. And now we have a new administration that's changing significantly energy policy. And you can already see at the gas pump, you know, 20% or more increases in the price of gasoline because of the closing of the um the XL pipeline and banning of uh, fracking in areas. And that's only the beginning. And I think we can look no further than Texas as, as a cautionary tale of what happens when we try to go to different extremes when it comes to energy. But we'll see where that goes. Now, one other shifting gears here, very interesting story that I saw over this past week was with Coca-Cola. Now, if, if, if you've seen this, then you probably are already rolling your eyes with me, but apparently it was leaked from a Coca-Cola diversity training in one, one portion of it that those who are taking the training, among other things, it were in order to be more um, aware and promoting of diversity. We're encouraged to, quote-unquote, be less white. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, again, you know, I'm like you. I'm a Gen Xer who grew up, you know, listening to experiences from the Civil Rights Movement and thinking that, you know, the messages that were were told then were right and good and valid and you've lived your life that way ever since and then you hear nonsense like this and you think well wait a minute isn't that the exact kind of racist nonsense that we tried to get away or get rid of that were targeted to other groups since the 60s i mean how is this welling up it's bizarre i don't understand how this kind of nonsense is not illegal. How is this not a violation of Title VII? I don't get it. Someone, some legal expert needs to explain this to me because I just simply don't understand it. I don't understand how these diversity training methods are okay. Now, I get we are fighting 
the pressures of, of, of this kind of identitarian nonsense. And it's, it's, you know, this kind of critical race theory is, is being, trying to be enforced into all facets of our, of our society and our culture from schools to corporations to the federal government. And it's bizarre. It could not be more racist. And I, I don't, it, it doesn't matter that the focus of the animus here is towards uh, Caucasians. It doesn't matter. The fact that they are trying to pit one racial group against another is just appalling to me. And again, I don't understand how it's not, how it's not illegal. And, but it's, again, it's, it's promoted on college campuses. You know, you, you see now these safe spaces are, are trying to be allotted and are being allotted to people of color and some to whites. And in a weird way, we are seeing in many areas now well-intentioned segregation. <laughs> it's bizarre. I mean, you, you look back at these black and white photos of whites only bathrooms and whites only drinking fountains. And you look back on that in horror, right? You recoil seeing these pictures and the experiences that these people had. And, and you know, as a baseball fan, I, you know, you hear experiences of, of people, you know, me being a Cub fan of Ernie Banks and Billy Williams and Friggy Jenkins and the horrors that they had not even just in the minor leagues and, and going on buses and not being allowed to, eat in restaurants with their team and staying in hotels with their team and, but, and how poorly their wives were treated. And you listen to these stories with horror and you can't for the life of you figure out how that happened. And you're glad that that kind of stuff was done away with until you look at college campuses and you see that it's back and it's bizarre. It's surreal to see. And in a very real sense, the only thing that makes sense to me is, is that the people behind this, behind critical race theories and behind these types of diversity trainings where in Coca-Cola they're telling people to be less white, the only thing that I can reason is that they are simply projecting their own racism onto everyone else. I mean, they, in a real way, they're telling us what they think they're telling us that we have the views that they do. And I'm not going to buy into it. I'm just simply not going to participate in that nonsense. I'm not going to be told that if I'm not proactively anti-racist, that I am racist too. I just, I just don't agree. And I'm not going to participate in that nonsense. I'm not going to participate in the hate. I'm not going to participate participate in the animus towards um, people who may think and and look and believe differently than me, I'm just not going to participate in it. They can have it all for themselves. And to be honest, I, I drink Pepsi anyway. So uh, Coca-Cola can go pound sand or Woca-Cola can go pound sand. But, you know, this woke nonsense needs to stop somewhere. And if that stops at soft drinks for me, well, then so be it. Now, last, last thing real quick that I'll touch on, I closed last week talking about uh, you know, the 
the passing of Rush Limbaugh. And, and for those of us who grew up listening to his show, it was it was kind of a sad thing. But the one unsurprising uh, fallout from that is just the the vitriol that was spewed um, his way and, and towards people who who appreciated him and were sad of, to hear of his passing. Not a shock, not a surprise. In fact, it would have been more of a surprise if we didn't see that, if we didn't experience that. But um, at some point, you know, again, that that stuff needs to stop. And and just like the, you know, the animus with critical race theory, this is another thing that I just will just not participate in. You know, I remember when Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, passed away, you know, I, I could not have disagreed more with with her politics and and many of her rulings but i wasn't happy to see her dead you know i wasn't i didn't think that was a good thing i didn't think she deserved it i didn't think it was appropriate to to celebrate it or to mock her or to to be rude and disrespectful in any way but for some reason in our in our culture and, and in our country that that seems to be one one way and completely one-sided you know on one on one hand you have you have people who celebrate and mock you know in deaths of people like Rush Limbaugh and Anthony Scalia and on the other side they're respectful when you know people like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg die and it's it could not be more more obvious and I think it's sad and, and again I think it's something that exposes the character of those folks uh, more than it does the other, but so be it. And I, I don't think that's going to be changing anytime soon. Well, with that, uh, enjoy the end of your February uh, Gen X and look forward to hopefully some, some warmer weather and a pleasant spring. And we'll be back here at the water cool to break it all down. Till then, stay cool, Gen X. 